Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to get all the info you need on the Vanderbilt Commodores. This is the Anchor Down Podcast with Vanderbilt reporter Max Hurd. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Max. On Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. And the Game Nashville It's time to Anchor Down. And listen up to the Anchor Down Podcast here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. I'm your host, Max Hurd. Let's talk Vanderbilt Commodores on this first show of November, dropping online on Monday, November the 4th, because of Nashville Predators on Monday night. You will hear this over the air one day later than usual on Tuesday evening, November the 5th on 102.5 The Game. However you are joining us, thank you so much for doing so. Want to let you know right off the bat that finally, 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 the Anchor Down podcast is available with its own page on Apple Podcasts. Just search Anchor Down Podcasts, subscribe, all the episodes will come straight to you. Of course, we will still live on thegamenashville.com as well. And typically, Monday nights 9 to 10 this week, Tuesday night from 8 to 9 for many of you listening over the dial on 102.5 The Game. On today's show, we recap Vanderbilt football's loss to South Carolina coming out of the bye week. Commodores fall 24 to 7 on Saturday night in Columbia, South Carolina to the Gamecocks. We will get into that game. Mo Hassan, was not healthy enough to play, did not get out of concussion protocol to make his second collegiate start. So Riley Neal started, didn't make it two drives deep before suffering a concussion of his own. So a couple of head injuries to Vanderbilt quarterbacks, got Deuce Wallace in the game early, and after an opening drive touchdown with Riley Neal at quarterback, Vanderbilt did not score again. Allowed 24 unanswered points to finish the game. Felt worse than a 17-point loss from the Vanderbilt perspective. Again, the final score. On Saturday night, South Carolina 24, Vanderbilt 7. Commodores dropped to 2-6 and six overall on the season. Now two-thirds of the way through the regular year, 1-4 and four in Southeastern Conference play. Unable to string back-to-back wins together with the bye week in between after defeating Missouri at home now three Saturdays ago. Second half of the podcast, we will shift to hoops. Vanderbilt men's and women's basketball both get going this week. Vanderbilt women's basketball starts Tuesday night against Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt men's basketball in the first game under new head coach Jerry Stackhouse will open Wednesday night. Both of those are home games at Memorial Gym. Again, women's basketball facing Jacksonville State, men's basketball facing Southeast Missouri State. So a couple of OVC foes coming to Memorial Gym to get those seasons started on back-to-back nights. The women's team will host Radford on Friday night, and then the men's team will return on Monday the 11th against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Heavy home slates for both teams, and today we'll take a look at the women's basketball program as they get ready to start their fourth season under head coach Stephanie White, Vanderbilt women's basketball. Coach White will join us here on the second half of the podcast for a Lengthy sit-down. Thank you to Coach White for spending 15 minutes with me this week. Talked a lot about not just the current roster, which we talked about a bit with seven freshmen coming in and a good group of returners as well with a graduation and a transfer mixed in. We talk more, though, about the direction of the program, what Vanderbilt women's basketball is selling right now, mostly to recruits. And again, seven freshmen a group that they really like and expect to use beginning this season. They think the sell is working. 
So we'll talk about the recruiting pitch, how and why Coach White finally thinks that the culture is where they want it to be, and again, her fourth season as the head coach. The outlook for this year and more. So a bigger picture look at Vanderbilt women's basketball as they look to get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. Did not make it in either of Melanie Balcom's final two seasons and have not gotten to the madness in three seasons under head coach Stephanie White. Again, Vanderbilt women's basketball opens Tuesday night, the 5th, against Jacksonville State. Stephanie White coming up in the second portion of the podcast. We will start with football. After the surprise, exhilarating, program-reviving win over Missouri at home by the final score of 21-14 to three Saturdays ago, Vanderbilt football comes out of the bye week with a different but familiar starter at quarterback in Riley Neal. Mo Hassan not out of concussion protocol despite the extra week to do everything they could to get him healthy again, but a brain injury very, very tricky. Very, very tricky after a nasty, dirty, just all-around disgusting hit. And the reason why football is, in the eyes of many, going the direction it is by Missouri safety Tyree Gillespie that knocked Mo Hassan out on a play where he slid feet first to give himself up. Well, that, uh, again, just truly sickening helmet-to-helmet hit. May have changed the course of Vanderbilt's season back in the negative as quickly as Mo Hassan changed it in the positive. Vanderbilt falls 24-7 to with Riley Neal starting at quarterback and only playing one series at South Carolina on Saturday night. Let's get down to it here on the Anchor Down podcast. Vanderbilt scored on their opening drive. Vanderbilt continues to start well. Even in the games that they're losing, they are frequently scoring first. The first drives have been very well scripted. Seems like they're... Pretty much scripted play-by-play by by offensive coordinator Jerry Godowski, the offensive assistant coaches, and a little bit of Derek Mason in there too, I'm sure. So with the quarterback that Vanderbilt expected to start this game, the first-team offense, with the exception of Kalijah Lipscomb, who mysteriously did not play a snap on Saturday night. More on that later, but we don't know much. So with the group they expected to be playing, Vanderbilt was surgical. 11-play, 77-yard drive after South Carolina got the ball. Could only manage one first down before punting it to the Commodores. Let's go play-by-play on that drive because Vanderbilt, on the offensive side, did everything right. They did absolutely everything right on this drive. They kept the ball safe. They showed some different looks. They balanced runs and passes. And most importantly, they used their players to their strengths. Then suddenly, after the injury to Neal, which occurred at some point in this drive, he played the entire drive, apparently injured somewhere along the way. We don't know for sure. They stopped doing it and didn't score again. We saw the Wildcat, the direct snap to Keyshawn Vaughn. We saw double tight ends. We saw trips left. We saw four wide out of the shotgun. We saw both running backs in the game. Split backs in the shotgun, which I absolutely love for Vandy as long as Keyshawn Vaughn is on the roster. So we saw all of that. And it all worked to perfection. And we didn't see it again. But we'll go through the first drive. Very successful scoring drive for Vanderbilt. Keyshawn Vaughn loses two yards on the first play. That was really the only negative for Vandy on the drive. It was the only true negative play. 
Second and 12, zone read, RPO, Riley Neal out of the shotgun, keeps it, runs right for two yards. Not a great play, but shows that it's in the playbook to continue to stretch the South Carolina defense, even without the fleeter of foot Mo Hassan playing in this game. Because he ran it against Mizzou like that, and it worked. Third and 10, pass interference called on a pass down the right sideline to C.J. Bowler. First pass attempt of the game. Fandy gets the first down on the penalty. The first play of the next set of downs was, I, I think, the most gorgeous play Vanderbilt has run all season because they used every single eligible on the field to their strengths. They went split backs in the shotgun. Again, I love this. Riley Neal in the shotgun. Keyshawn Vaughn on his right hip. Keon Brooks on his left hip. Shotgun snap. It's a passing play. Neal takes maybe a two-shuffle drop as Vaughn goes from his right hip behind him out into the left flat for the screen pass. Chris Pierce was set out to the left. Pierce is Vanderbilt's best blocking receiver by far. He's there. He blocks his man. Justice Shelton Mosley does too. Vaughn gets nine yards. Sets up a second and one, and Vanderbilt would sign up for second and one every single time with what the offense has done this season. It was just a thing of beauty. Vaughn gets on the move, gets the ball in space. You let your best blocker block. And Keon Brooks establishes himself as someone who's going to be a factor in this game, and he got carries. More carries than he probably should have gotten. He got five carries for 24 yards, as well as two touches in the passing game for a combined negative two receiving yards. Talk more about Brooks later. Wasn't too happy with how he was used in this one. But Brooks on this play, when you get them both in together, the two running backs, he's a great decoy. He's a great decoy. All Vanderbilt has said is Keon Brooks is a playmaker for us, and we've seen it. He had the one long touchdown. He's a threat to break one or at least go six, seven, eight, nine, ten yards. Well, on this play, he's a decoy, draws a backer, more space for Vaughn out in the left flat. Beautiful play. Vaughn gets three yards for the first down on second and one. Vaughn gets five yards to take it out to midfield on the next set, starting first and ten. Then we see Javion Marlowe. This may have been the biggest positive eyebrow raiser of the drive. Javion Marlowe, the redshirt freshman running back, who we expected to step into the backup role if he hadn't been injured over the course of the summer and the early portion of the season once Jamari Wakefield went down. We finally saw Marlowe get involved in the offense. He starts out at the right edge of the formation, goes in motion, arena football style, behind the shotgun, gets the fake handoff. Neal ends up running out to the right side, ends up getting tackled for a loss of two yards. They call it a sack. It was, it was a rush attempt. I don't think... Neil had designs on throwing the ball there. But I love seeing Javion Marlowe involved for the same reason I love seeing Keon Brooks involved on the split back shotgun play. You get as many variables as possible in there. And again, while the plays were scripted, Vanderbilt did this so, so well. Third and seven on Vanderbilt's 48 after the loss of two on the quote-unquote sack. You go four wide. Pass is incomplete. It's Shelton Mosley, C.J. Bowler, Cam Johnson and Jared Pinckney, who are the four wide receivers with Vaughn in the backfield, shotgun set. Offside gives Vandy a chance to do it again. Third and two, Vaughn gets it. Needed two, got three. With Chris Pierce and James Bostick, another strong blocking receiver who stepped in in many sets that Kalijah Lipscomb would have been in. Those two guys led the way blocking. Well done. Well, well done. They pitched it left. Those two receivers were out there. Devin Cochran pulled from his left tackle spot. They ran on the perimeter, and Jordan Rogers said it during the broadcast. They ran away from Javon Kinlaw. 
When they did that, they were successful on this first drive. Kinlaw was on the left side of the defensive formation, Vandy's right side. They ran away from him, and it worked. Saw a couple more Vaughn runs, including one on the direct snap. Then third and three from the 26, Cam Johnson, a beautiful move to beat his man one-on-one coverage. Out and up, 26-yard touchdown catch, 7-0 Vanderbilt. 11 plays, 77-yard drive, 6 minutes and 6 seconds came off the clock, and halfway through the first quarter, Vanderbilt had the lead. Didn't score again, though. Derek Mason, what happened from there? I thought we lost momentum, obviously, when Riley Neal got hurt. Uh, Man, we had 95 yards in the first quarter and really didn't do much uh, after that. And so, you know, for us, um, just got to find ways tactically, strategically, uh, to continue to manufacture, you know, in drives. I think, uh, you know, man, we, we saw um, how the offense became limited and really bogged down just in terms of, of them loading the box. I thought Key still ran hard. Uh, I thought Keon ran hard. Um, just not enough opportunities, you know, like to get the ball outside, you know, into guys. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that we just got to continue to remedy as we move forward. Well, they'd have another opportunity to score on the second offensive possession of the game, albeit with a different quarterback. As we recap Vanderbilt's 24-7 loss Saturday night to the South Carolina Gamecocks here on the Anchor Down Podcast. Riley Neal concussed on the first drive. Deuce Wallace steps in with, again, Mo Hassan already out with a concussion and not even traveling with the team to Columbia. South Carolina got into the red zone. Elijah McAllister forced a fumble from behind, knocked the ball away from Mon Denson, South Carolina running back. Big Elijah McAllister fan right here. Big Elijah McAllister fan. Redshirt freshman from Rumson, New Jersey. Where's number 41? Six foot six. Big, big man. Set up the linebacker position and as an edge rusher on the defensive line at times this year. Reminds me of Zach Cunningham. It's not just the jersey number either. He forced the fumble that he got on the ground, recovered it by muscling it away from Kyle Markway, Gamecock tight end, using that wingspan. So McAllister forces the fumble, picks up the fumble, keeps Vanderbilt ahead 7-0. He recovered the fumble at Vanderbilt's own 9-yard line. That's where the Commodores would start with 3.43 left in the first quarter in a 7-0 lead over South Carolina. Deuce Wallace enters. First play, under center snap, Keyshawn Vaughn rushes for 12 yards. Then Wallace gets it to Justin Shelton Mosley on the shotgun quick screen onto the left side. Eight yards for Shelton Mosley. Gets it out to the 29-yard line, and Vandy all of a sudden goes from backs against the end zone to starting to move a little bit. Keyshawn Vaughn, seven-yard carry off an under-center snap. Justice Shelton Mosley, three yards on an end-around. Personal foul by Ernest Jones on the end of it. Gets Vandy into South Carolina territory. Two good rushes for Keon Brooks on his first two touches of the game would follow that final two plays of the first quarter, including one out of the pistol. I like that pistol run. That was the first play after the personal foul. So Vanderbilt gets to the South Carolina 39-yard line. Third and two, incomplete pass to C.J. Bowler on the first play of the second quarter. Then fourth and two on the 39. Well, officially they call it fourth and two on the 38. You go back, you look at where the ball was. It was fourth and three. It would be the longest two yards on the planet. They needed to get to the 36. They were closer to the 39 and the 38. Vanderbilt needed three yards on this play. Doesn't change what I think here. Vanderbilt had moved the ball 
52 yards on eight plays on this drive with Deuce Wallace taking over. Keyshawn Vaughn, a big part of it. Keon Brooks, a big part of it. They each had two touches. Justice Shelton Mosley had two. Those are the guys you want moving the ball for Vanderbilt. Every single play on the drive had been positive with the exception of that incompletion on third down right out of the quarter break. Then Vanderbilt brings out the punt team, except Deuce Wallace is part of the punt team. The quarterback is the up man in the punt formation. Again, Vanderbilt is inside their opponent's 40 here. It is the entire punt team, and then Wallace standing at shotgun distance behind the long snapper. Wallace tiptoes under center, rushes up in there, and the two men beside him get right behind him, almost in a kneel-style formation, in a kneel-down formation. The only thing that Vanderbilt was going to do after Wallace got in there was a quarterback sneak. There was no back on the play. No one was going to get a handoff there. And Vanderbilt needed three yards. Again, it's in the books as two. But it was the longest two yards in the history of college football. So I don't know what Vandy thought was going to happen. They were trying to draw South Carolina offsides, but it, it wasn't with legit bait. I mean, they were throwing a bare hook into the water. Nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to happen there. So I don't know. Just a... A seriously odd decision. Derek Mason said after the game he didn't consider going for it at all. Vanderbilt takes the delay of game there to give them more room to punt. They punt the ball. Harrison Smith kicks into the end zone. Again, they're they're punting from less than 45 yards out. So if you start from the spot before the delay of game to where South Carolina started, that's a 19-yard net. Just go for it. Go for it. How many times are you going to get back there? Well, the answer is not again. Not again. Vanderbilt would not score in the game. The other crazy thing about that situation is you, you have the punt team out there. The Gunners are not wide receivers for Vandy. One of them is Camden Coleman, who is in his first year of organized football. The walk-on has been great for Vandy in punt coverage as a Gunner, but that's what he's trained to do. He, he's never done anything else. And I admire what he's done this season. I'm glad Vanderbilt has found a great spot for him because he's been effective on punt coverage. But was Deuce Wallace actually going to throw him the ball? Is South Carolina supposed to think that he's going to throw him the ball? Or is he supposed to think he's going to sneak three yards? I don't think either is realistic. So, Very confused by that decision. And again, Derek Mason identified Deuce Wallace coming in as a point where Vandy lost momentum on offense. I think you got to choose to go for it there. you got you got to know where you are. you got to know you're on the road. you got to know how you're going to win. And the reason I went through on that drive and said which plays were under center, which plays were out of the shotgun, the one play was out of the pistol formation, the handoff to Keon Brooks. Vandy didn't really employ the shotgun a ton once Wallace came into the game, and that's because Alan Walters is the only quarterback behind him who's never played a collegiate snap. You don't want to get Wallace hurt, but that totally took him out of the running game. And We've heard all summer in the Riley Neal-Deuce-Wallace quarterback battle, Deuce Wallace is the runner. Well, Mo Hassan was the runner, and it worked like a charm against Missouri. That's why Vanderbilt won that game. That's why Vanderbilt's offense worked in that game. And you got a quarterback who you are saying can do that, and then you don't do it. I I've, I don't have the exact numbers. It's not tracked in college like it is in the NFL, but Vanderbilt took more under center snaps in this game than they did, it, I think, in every other game combined this season. Not great. Not great. Here's Derek Mason on where his quarterbacks sit after Mohassan didn't make it there. Riley Neal didn't make it to the second drive. Deuce Wallace went the distance, and Alan Walters was the only man in uniform behind him. 
can you say what the injury was to Riley Neal? And was Alan Walters ever a possibility even in the fourth quarter? You know, Alan was not a possibility uh, like this week, uh, man. But you know, man, moving forward, hey, uh, I mean, I mean, getting getting. Uh, I mean, the best quarterback ready is getting the best quarterback ready. So we'll we'll dive into it and we'll take a look at it. In terms of Riley, um, and obviously on that hit uh, early, uh, man, I, I I think for him, I'm, I I never asked. You know, I mean, our medical staff because I kept waiting for them to come back to me at halftime, but I never got a chance to to get a true explanation, uh, man, of what happened. But I would assume man, that it had to be uh, a concussion. So I mean, I'll see, I'll figure it out here when I have a chance to talk to our medical staff, and then I'll go from there. Derek Mason continued on Alan Walters and whether or not the redshirt freshman from Chatham, New Jersey, could be Vanderbilt's quarterback in the swamp this coming Saturday. You know, Alan Walters is, is a good quarterback, and if Alan Walters has to be the one that 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 we get ready this week, then we'll get Alan ready. Um, bottom line is, uh, we've got to we've got to be able to have more offense than what we showed, you know, in today. Um, obviously, I mean, it does hurt Riley going down. I thought Riley did some good things, and and uh, obviously, man, we'll see. Uh, where Mo's at in protocol. Vanderbilt falls 24-7 to to South Carolina. We'll keep the football conversation going in the next segment here on the Anchor Down podcast. Why didn't Kalijah Lipscomb play in this game? And some key targets that went James Bostick's way filling in for him. That as well as some thoughts on Vanderbilt moving the line of scrimmage or lack thereof. More Vandy football talk plus Stephanie White, Vanderbilt women's basketball head coach in the second portion of the program. Smacks hers on the Anchor Down podcast here on ESPN. One and two, five, the game. This is the Anchor Down podcast. Welcome back to the Anchor Down podcast here on ESPN. One and two, five, the game. I'm Max Hers. First episode of November, Vanderbilt football, a 24-7 loser against South Carolina on Saturday evening in Columbia. We'll keep the recap going here on the Anchor Down podcast. Vanderbilt already three deep at the quarterback position because of injuries to Mo Hassan and Riley Neal. Their number one receiver did not play in the game. Here's why Kalaja Lipscomb didn't suit up for the Commodores, per Derek Mason afterwards. What's going on with Lipscomb? You know what? Kalaja had a rough week. Uh, you know, uh, I, I thought he struggled, uh, you know, uh, early in the week just to just to, you know, work through some things. And then uh, it, it, it was that way later in the week, uh, you know, as well. And, you know, we, hopefully, you know, like thought he was going to uh, be be ready to go, but was not ready to go. And so, uh, man, we had to move in a different direction. So Just injury then? So. No, man, I mean, just working through, just working through some things. Personal. Personal. Okay. Yeah. Kalijah Lipscomb, not injured, not suspended. In uniform, on the sideline, did not play a single snap because of what Derek Mason said there were personal reasons. So we will await clarity on that and see if Kalaja Lipscomb plays for Vanderbilt against Florida this coming Saturday. As Vanderbilt kind of changed what their offense looked like, as I said in the first segment, more under center snaps than usual once the quarterback play got down to just Deuce Wallace. It kind of changed what they were capable of. Now the defense approached them. Again, Vanderbilt scored on their first drive and would not score again in the game. First drive of the game, Vandy, 77 total yards on 11 plays. After that, 122 total yards on 39 plays. If you want to go through the first two drives, which I recapped here, one that ended with the touchdown and one that ended with the delay a game into the punt decision, 
Vanderbilt had 19 plays and 129 offensive yards on those two drives. After that, 60 total yards, so less than half on their remaining snaps in those first two drives combined. So 60 yards on 31 total snaps. Talk about a change of pace. Derek Mason on that. Can't run it, you know, like 30, 30, 38, 39 times, you know, consecutively, man. You got to be able to do something besides put it out in space a little bit man, because they kept getting tighter and tighter to the line of scrimmage. I didn't think Vandy's rush game was that much better than their passing game after those first two drives, but Derek Mason seemed to think that the running was, which, I mean, if I had to pick one, it was the rush game. But that comment made me think about something that Vanderbilt left tackle Devin Cochran said last week in an interview on this very podcast. Talking about the line of scrimmage, talking about why the run-heavy approach worked against Missouri and got Vanderbilt more and more as the game went on. And I hearken back to it after a game when Vanderbilt scored on their first drive and then failed to do so. The next three and a half quarters. Here's Devin Cochran, Vanderbilt's blindside blocker. When you do that, linebackers tend to play a little more soft. Guys aren't as downhill as much. You can see that the D line was just worn out. I mean, they were tired. They, you know, they they started out talking crap and then it just kind of turned into them just <laughs> just being real, just timid and meek and shy and just not really having any any energy. And well, you know, when you beat down on a team like that over and over again, I mean, they just have nothing left in them. That's Devin Cochran on why the stretch runs and outside runs by both Keyshawn Vaughn and Mo Hassan worked in Vanderbilt's favor in their win against Missouri. Well, this game, Derek Mason said continuing to run wasn't an option, and it did Vanderbilt in. So, back down again, back down again. Seems like the Missouri game was the anomaly, if this one is any indication. Vanderbilt will travel to Florida This coming Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff, noon local down in Gainesville. The game will be on ESPN for those not there in attendance. I will be amongst those watching on television on Friday morning turned afternoon. Great broadcast crew for ESPN. It'll be the first time that Vanderbilt has been scheduled to be on ESPN this season. They did play one game on ESPN. That was the Georgia opener. Supposed to be on SEC Network, but moved up the network ladder because other games were moved due to weather to earlier in the day. So so we have Vanderbilt's first time scheduled on ESPN this season, their second time on anything other than the SEC network with the exception of the Big Ten network game at Purdue. Announcers, Bob Wischusen, Dan Orlovsky, and Allison Williams is the sideline reporter for this one. Again, noon kickoff, Vanderbilt against a Florida team that remains in the top 15 after losing to Georgia by a single score in their neutral site rivalry game, which was basically for the SEC East title last week. So the doors will be down on the swamp. See who plays quarterback. See who plays quarterback. Monitor that throughout the week. We'll talk hoops after this. Vanderbilt women's basketball coach Stephanie White talking about the state of her program as she enters season number four. They tip off this week, Tuesday night, against Jacksonville State at Memorial Gym. Good interview for those interested in Vanderbilt women's basketball. It's on the other side. It's Max Herz, the Anchor Down Podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. You're listening to the Anchor Down Podcast. In the words of Fergie, let's play some basketball. Oh my God, that doesn't get old. The Fergie National Anthem from the NBA All-Star Game when the players were all just going crazy at her showmanship. I guess is a kind way to put it. Well, it's basketball season. 
Vanderbilt women's basketball opens Tuesday night against Jacksonville State. Men's basketball the following night against Southeast Missouri State. Of course, we will cover both over the course of the winter season here on the Anchor Down podcast. Max is with you on ESPN 102.5. The game had the pleasure of sitting down with Vanderbilt women's basketball coach Stephanie White this week as she enters her fourth season at the helm of the Vanderbilt women's basketball team. Talk about the current roster, culture change, and where they feel like they are now with their program culture as well as their on-floor style of play, which she also feels like is getting to where it needs to be. Hope you enjoy. We'll talk about the state of the Vanderbilt women's basketball program. I was over there on Halloween, and Stephanie White was dressed as a ninja in her office. Pretty incredible. Stephanie White on Halloween afternoon in her ninja costume. Yep. Looking good, Coach. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate that. I know you guys practice in the Halloween costumes every year. You dress up for Christmas, things Uh like that. What do you think has been the best look for this coaching staff with the fun outfits? Oh, wow, the best look. You know, I don't know. I am kind of partial to last year because we had G, who who was Fresh Prince of (laughs) Bel-Air. He he was pretty good. We had Rick, who was Catwoman. Um, you know, I, I, it's just, you know, every year it's, it's a little bit different, so, but you know, I think the most fun thing is that, you know, our players don't expect us to come in looking like that. Yeah. And so when, when we come in and we do, it gives them a little bit of a, of, um, of a laugh. Um, and sometimes it's very difficult to take it seriously as that happens. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a lot of fun. We are here less than a week from opening night for you guys mm-hmm. as you start on Tuesday, just in general, how do you feel right now? I feel good. You know, this has uh, been a fun group to be in the gym with. You know, it's been a competitive group. It's been a group that's worked incredibly hard, uh, that, that, that loves each other, genuinely loves each other, um, that, that has a chance to, to really uh, make some noise, and that, that makes it fun. What do you think so far has kind of shown you that this team is ready to get going? I mean, you got returning faces, you got young faces, but what have you seen? Well, I think the biggest thing is just how hard they're working. You know, we've got a, a really good mix of some returners that had quality experience, um, a really good jolt of competitive energy from a lot of young players who love to play and love to compete, um, who have been winners. And, and they have embraced one another um, in, in, a, in a way that's helped us move forward quickly, um, that allows us to push them and challenge them in practice, um, that, that challenges one another every day in practice and every single person that steps on the floor wants to be a part of of, of being the change and wants to be a part of of helping elevate the program to to where we're capable of being and 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 that in itself um, makes it fun to be in the gym this is definitely the deepest team you've had Mm -hmm. in the time that you've been here how much has it helped just purely from a numbers standpoint going through summer coming into fall yeah it's helped in practice a lot i mean last year we weren't even really able to practice outside of two on two and Mm -hmm. sometimes three on three um, you know, in a, in a time where it's very difficult to get a practice squad here at Vanderbilt, um, having numbers to go against every day is important, and, and we have that now. It also, because of the way we want to play, we want to play up-tempo, fast-paced, offensively, defensively, we want to get after people. And, um, and so in order to do that, we have to practice like that, and you have to be able to go hard for two, three, four minutes, however long it is, and then somebody else can come in and do the same thing and, and really tag team and build off of one another in that. No, you shouldn't be able to play the way that we want to play for a long period of time if you're really giving it everything that you have. So now I think we have the depth to really be able to say, I'm going to go as hard as I can for as long as I can. I'm going to ask for a sub, and then when I'm ready to come back, I'm going to come back. You guys had stretches last season where, I mean, you were dressing six, maybe Mm -hmm. seven for a game. I mean, you had a half where you were one foul away from playing four on five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
How tough was that? And when you guys finally got back to full strength, I mean, obviously the win over Tennessee is the highlight of the end of the year, but how good did you feel once you finally got back to full strength and finally got moving a little bit after that? Uh, it, it was a challenge. There's no doubt about it. When, when you don't have enough bodies to really practice, um, to scout, to do all of those things, it was certainly a challenge. I think that, um, you know, trying to manage um, not just from a practice standpoint of who was actually able to participate, but how much were they actually able to participate because we needed yeah. them for games as well. Um, and then as you start, we, we weren't 100% healthy, but as we got healthier as the season went on, you know, you really saw what this team was capable of. But, you know, I, I, I commend our team last year because while our numbers didn't really indicate where we were, you know, we had spent the first two years really planting seeds and cultivating seeds last year, really growing roots. Um, and, and it could have been very easy for them to fold, and we never did. You know, we kept competing and kept playing hard, and then when we finally were able to be um, a healthier versions of, of our version of ourselves, you saw we were able to go into Tennessee and win. We were able to compete with Mississippi State on the road. We were able to compete with South Carolina on the road. So learning that when we put ourselves in positions and when we are healthy, we have the potential to compete in the SEC was huge for our team. You know, so now we have those guys returning healthy. Um, we have depth. We have speed and athleticism, uh, and now it's time for us to start growing above ground. Talk with the Vanderbilt women's basketball coach Stephanie White here on the Anchor Down podcast as the Commodores get ready for their season opener Tuesday night against Jacksonville State here at Memorial Gym. You bring in seven freshmen. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a big reason you guys are feeling good in the numbers department, and you called them winners, mm -hmm. and that's what matters. What do they bring? Competitiveness. You know, they have a tremendous energy about them. Um, they've got a youthful exuberance. They're long, athletic, um, and competitive. And, and, and we've got um, all ends of the spectrum. I mean, we've, we've got, you know, high school players that were competing on the national stage, and we've got, you know, players who feel like they may have been overlooked in the recruiting process with a little bit of chip on their shoulder. Um, and, and, and we have really good teammates. Uh, we have really good culture kids. Uh, we have players that, that want to develop, that want to get better, that like to be in the gym, and that generally like one another. And I think that that's really, really important when you talk about continuing to move culture forward, and, and team chemistry is a big part of that. What's the sell right now for you guys? Obviously, recruiting has been successful. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like you're selling? Well, an, an opportunity to help get a program back to, to prominence, national prominence, number one. I think number two, an opportunity to play in a system um, that allows you the freedom to play and use your natural abilities. Um, you know, we want to we want to make plays, not necessarily run plays, and but we want to do it within a system, within a scope of t spacing and timing, um, and and actions that allow players to to utilize their strengths to their advantage. Um, and and we are a staff that will develop our talent, and and player development is huge. And and there are a lot of you know places that develop players to fit into that system, but we want to develop players to be the best player that they can be, to be the best student that they can be, to be the best um, leader that they can be when they leave here. And it really is a holistic approach. And you're going to get opportunities to play. You're going to get opportunities to come in and to make an impact right away. But the players who take pride in wearing Vanderbilt across their jersey, the players who take pride in getting a program back to national prominence that, that, that are not afraid of the academic commitment, that want to compete and play in the SEC, um, those are the players that, that we have and the players that we're, we're going to continue to go after. You brought in two new assistant coaches last year, Sharika Wright, who's your recruiting coordinator, and Gary Reedus. Both of them are heading into their second seasons mm -hmm. this year. It seems like they've been big forces in recruiting. They've Is that huge. correct of me to say? They've been huge. You know, Sharika has such a great eye for talent, and, and not just talent, 
that can come in and compete in the SEC, but talent that you can develop. You know, she sees beyond the obvious, um, and 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 she really does an awesome job of of filtering through to find great character kids, great character families that will come in and fit our culture and what we're about, and that will fit Vanderbilt. Um, and and she's been a, a huge asset since the day she stepped foot on campus last spring. Um, you know, Gary Reedus is is a young um, and upcoming assistant coach who didn't get here until September. Um, so, so sort of came in behind the eight ball, but loves basketball and is a great relationship guy. And he's so good with recruits and so good with, with coaches and parents. And he's got this energy about him that's really infectious. And he, he just makes your day a little bit brighter with, with, yeah. with that enthusiasm and that energy and that zest for life. And, um, and, and there's really, really something to that. you know. And he's an incredible basketball mind. He's been around basketball his whole life. He's been around women's basketball his whole life. Um, you know, he's, he, it's, a, it's a great challenge, you know, day in and day out to talk basketball with, with this group. And, and those two have helped us from a recruiting standpoint, no doubt about it. And Kelly has been the consistent force for us, you know, since, since I've been here um, and, and, and really building relationships with our players and, 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 and technical details and scout-specific stuff that she's so, so good at. I feel like we have a, um, the best complimentary um, staff that we've had since I've been here. Vanderbilt women's basketball coach Stephanie White is our guest on the Anchored Out podcast. You said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on the quote, you want your players to be making plays, not running plays. Is that how you phrased it? That's how I phrased it, yeah. What does that look like when it works the way you guys want it to? Well, it, it looks a lot like um, like, a, like a natural flow, you know, and, and we, we utilize, um, you know, it's, 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 we call it making music. Um, it's, it is kind of like a dance, like, like where you can, you can read one another and you can play with one another and it, it flows in a natural rhythm and, and, and you make beautiful music. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not a series of linear cuts, A, B, C, D scripted kind of offense. Um, now we've had to do that in the past because that's the type of personnel that we've had and we still have to at some points, but you know, the, the, the goal is to, give players freedom to read and make reads, to give players freedom to do what they do best, but to provide structure in, 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 in spacing, in the type of pace that you have to play with, um, that allows them to utilize their assets and that, and that helps direct them into to what exactly those assets are at each phase of, of a season, because it's gonna be different in non-conference than it will be in SEC play when you're talking about great defensive teams that take certain things away. To stick with the music reference, are Jordan Cambridge and Chelsea Hall your maestros then? They are the maestros, no doubt about <laughs> it. They are the maestros. We've, 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 we've got two of them. Either one of them can handle the ball and bring it right. up. Either one of them can initiate offense. Um, you know, they, they both um, are really good playmakers. You know, they're, they're both uh, really good IQ players. Um, and, and for us to have a, a different version um, – of sort of the same player, you know, and, and Jordan gets in the paint and she's a really, really good facilitator, makes players better, can score. Chelsea's a, a playmaker uh, and scorer, and her next level is really learning how to make everybody else better. Um, but she's money in the mid-range, money in the mid-range. And, and I think being able to eliminate the need to have to handle the ball 94 feet and defend 94 feet for one person um, is really going to help them. What do you guys need to see between now and the start of conference play to know that you're where you need to be? Uh, well, we need to see consistency. You know, we need to see a, a consistent defensive and rebounding team. We need to see a team that, that focuses on the details, um, that, can, that can execute a scout offensively and defensively. We need to see a team um, that, while there will be natural slippage, can retain information, 
Um, we need to see a, a team that can make layups and free throws. Yeah. Um, that that can you know our margin for error is still going to be slim. So so we've got to capitalize. Um, we're going to get to the free throw line because we've got a really really good group of, of slashers. We got to be able to knock them down. We're going to get to the rim. We got to be able to make layups and we got to be able to make layups with contact. And and more than anything, I want to see a a mentality and an expectation of being able to step on the floor night in and night out and, and put ourselves in position to win ball games. This is the first time that I've had you on since Malcolm Turner joined the mm-hmm. fold at Vanderbilt in February. And the, the thing that stands out about him in perspective to you is you both came from professional mm-hmm. basketball. Yeah. So what's it been like getting to know him, kind of making the similar transition, and what's impressed you about his leadership? It's It's been awesome. You know, I, I think one of the things that I love about Malcolm is he is a basketball guy and he gets it. Um, I love that he's a visionary. You know, I love that he's not afraid to take risks. I love that, you know, coming from where he's come from, um, much like where I did in the W, it's about rolling up your sleeves and, and getting to work. It's doing the dirty work. It's not the obvious that's coming to you, right? It's, it's finding ways um, to move the needle and finding unconventional ways to move the needle. And, and I, I like that mentality because I think that's what we're about at Vanderbilt. You know, we've, we've got to find unconventional ways to move the needle. We've got to be able to, to dig in um, and do what's, um, what's necessary to put ourselves in position for success um, academically and athletically. We've got to challenge one another um, day in and day out from a leadership um, standpoint. And, and, and really, I think that, um, you know, Malcolm to be able to come in and to, to help get us to another level um, is, is, is important. And I think he's the guy to do the job. As he really begins to lay plans down outside of the obvious, what mm-hmm. do you guys need or want right now? Well, I, I think, you know, everybody here is, uh, at Vanderbilt um, is, is talking about facilities. Yeah. You know, I think in the day and age where, where you're, you're competing um, against peer institutions for eyeballs of young people um, and in the days of social media, you know, it is about eye candy, unfortunately. And, and while eye candy isn't, isn't the necessity, uh, being able to position ourselves from, from, a, um, from a facility standpoint is. And, and, and all of us love Vanderbilt because of the tradition. All of us love at Vanderbilt because of the history. And I think finding creative ways to be able to maintain that part of it while continuing to, to create an engaging fan experience and engaging experience for our student athletes um, is, is important. You know, I think from an athletics department standpoint, as we continue to move that needle and continue to move the needle when it comes to taking care of our student athletes, whether that's nutrition, you know, sports psychology, um, you know, from a mental health standpoint and, and, you know, marketing and advertising. I mean, all of these things, um, that are so important and in a city that you're competing night in and night out for entertainment dollars where there's just so many things to do. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's not an easy task. Um, but we, we, want, we have to be able to, and we want to be able to do it with the identity of what Vanderbilt University is all about. And, and I think that all of us love that about Vanderbilt and want to continue to do that with the integrity of Vanderbilt University. Awesome. Coach White, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stephanie White, Vanderbilt women's basketball head coach here on the Anchor Down podcast. Give me some quick thoughts on that interview, which I enjoyed very much. A little bit more hoops talk to close out the program after this. It's the Anchor Down podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. With me, Max Hers. This is the Anchor Down Podcast. Welcome back. Finishing up shop here on the Anchor Down Podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Monday, November the 4th when we hit the online shelves. Tuesday night, November 5th when you hear us over the air here on 102.5 The Game. Nashville Predators Monday night forces us out of our Monday night 9-10 to time slot and on to Tuesday 8-9 to this week of 
Of course, we'll let the Preds take it over anytime as they embark on a four-game road trip. Yeah, they were in Detroit last night. How about this? Detroit, Denver, San Jose, Vancouver. Uh, schedule maker not doing those guys too many favors. Uh, hop, skip, and a jump, and then some to get spot to spot to spot to spot. And then the longest flight of all back home. From British Columbia to Tennessee. Sheesh. Your anchor down and listen up with me, Max Herz, on the Anchor Down Podcast. Covering Vanderbilt Sports here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Thank you again to Stephanie White for joining me in the last segment of the podcast. If you missed any of that interview, go to thegamenashville.com, click on Pod Center, click on Anchor Down. You will see all our episodes there. Or we now live on Apple Podcasts, finally and long overdue. The Anchor Down Podcast does have its own Apple Podcast channel. Google Play and Spotify are coming soon. Go to Apple Podcasts, search the Anchor Down Podcast, subscribe while we're there. We have a podcast of just that Stephanie White interview as well. If you want to hear just the women's basketball interview, got the football talk from earlier in the show up with the full episode as well. So again, the Anchor Down Podcast is on Apple Podcasts now. Subscribe while you're there to stay up to date with our weekly episodes and interviews. Ooh, how about next week? How about next week, a week from right now, we're going to have some Vanderbilt baseball to talk. Oh, yeah. Year-round coverage of the Vandy Boys here on the Anchor Down Podcast. Vanderbilt will welcome in Michigan for the David Williams Classic. The David Williams Fall Classic, noon on Sunday afternoon, November the 10th, College World Series Finals rematch between two programs that have a ton of respect for each other. Former Vanderbilt assistant coach Eric Backich and Michigan will be in Nashville. They will be playing a couple of scrimmage games. I believe they're going to play either 14 or 16 innings. Know that for sure later in the week. Sunday, beginning at noon at Hawkins Field, free admission for those out of town. We will have a TV broadcast that I'm fortunate to be a part of. Streaming online on Watch ESPN and the ESPN app via SEC Network Plus. So looking forward to being on the call with Joe Fisher, Andrew Harris, Aaron Dugan, plus our entire production crew will be dusting off the baseball cobwebs in November. These new fall scrimmages are awesome. So glad the NCAA finally gave teams the green light to play them. Vanderbilt had Oklahoma State here last year, which was a ton of fun. Vanderbilt and Oklahoma State met again. And Oklahoma State, like Michigan, has a former Vandy assistant coach at the helm in Josh Holliday. They met in Kansas City a couple weeks ago for a scrimmage. Now Vanderbilt welcomes Michigan down. Of course, the best of three took three this past June in Omaha. Vanderbilt and Michigan with Vanderbilt winning the national title. And those teams will play again in February, perhaps even in the season opener. We don't know yet. It'll be a game either 1, 2, or 3 on February 14th, 15th, or 16th in the MLB 4 tournament at the spring training home of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Colorado Rockies. Salt River Fields at Talking Stick in Scottsdale, Arizona. So we'll have a full recap of that scrimmage day. We will see who is throwing and who is in uniform for Vanderbilt. They've had some injuries to their returning position players. But there will be a lot to catch you up on. A lot to catch you up on. So looking forward to that. We'll have a full recap of the Florida football game as well and the early season basketball outcomes. Thanks again to Stephanie White for joining me. Thanks to Eric Dolan from Vanderbilt Sports Information for helping to make that interview happen. Thank you to Adam Sparks for hooking us up with the post-game interview audio from South Carolina. I was not able to make it to Cola. So thank you to Adam from the Tennessean for making that happen for me. It is much appreciated. You've been anchoring down and listening up with me, Max Herz. It's the Anchor Down Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game.